the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Today we continue um, our journey exploring the love of God. Uh, the Greek word agape is, is what we use for this. There really isn't an exact equivalent in English. Agape is a relational love. And I'd like you to remember that word today as we go through this whole thing. There's no way to, to fulfill any of it without interacting with other people. God's love, agape love, is not something that you just feel on the inside or that you think about. It's stuff you do. It's, it's part of interacting with other people. Uh, last week, we talked about how the idea of love it transforms us, that when we intentionally conform to God's standards, we act in what God would call a becoming way, that we literally become more like Jesus little by little. And somebody came up after the service and said, you know, that reminds me of the Velveteen Rabbit. I hadn't th- heard about that, I thought about that for a really long time. So I went back and reread that old kid's story. And there's a really cool quote in the middle I'd like to share with you. Uh, the skin horse, this old worn out toy is talking to the little rabbit. If you never read the story, it's a pretty good one. But he says this, it doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become, it takes a long time. And that's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily who have sharp edges, who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time that you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. How how many have felt that way lately? (laughs) I have. Most of my hair is getting rubbed off. I think it's actually just falling out, but for real though, it's, it's hard, it's not easy. But to love God's way is we stay in that sweet spot where we do all the stuff that he says this is what love does and we don't do the stuff that he says it does not. One more time, love is patient. Love is kind and it celebrates truth and it shelters others, it trusts others, it expects the best out of others, it perseveres no matter what. Love is not proud. It is not rude or selfish or irritable. It does not envy or boast or hold grudges or delight in sin. Love never gives up. Agape is that sweet spot in the middle where all of that stuff is happening at once. This morning, we're going to look at three of those ideas, three things that um, define this kind of love, starting with this one. Love does not keep account of wrongs. In the Greek, it's logetsetai takakon. And logetsetai is the, is the word where we get the English word log, not, not a cut down tree kind of a log, the, an accounting log, a journal, a keeping, a, keeping track kind of a log. Sometimes in the, some translations it says um, it does not hold grudges. And that's a pretty good way to say it as well. Pretty good translation, I guess, of luggage and the tie. But it really is a more formal thing. When I think of grudges, I think of like the Hatfields and McCoys. Anybody else? I mean, there's a restaurant about it. Like it's a pretty common story. But what I've heard is after several generations of those two families fighting, they couldn't even remember how it started. They couldn't even remember what happened at the beginning. They just knew we don't like that other family. And as crazy as that is, that happens a lot. But legacitai is very much a precise thing. That very much keeps track. That's the whole point. And so when we say that we don't keep track of 
of other people. We don't keep account of other people's wrongs. Here, let's say it this way, if you would. Say it out loud with me. Don't document others' failures. Okay? Document is a word you can write down if you're a note taker and you like writing these words down. Let's say this one more time. Don't document others' failures. Now, that might mean literally jotting things down. It might, but the whole idea is this. The reason we keep logs or accounts is so that we can go back and revisit them later, so we can refer to them later. We want to be able to go back and go, no, 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 here's what you did. Here's exactly what you said. This is exactly how you hurt me. And it was on this day, at this time, we, we're, we're trying our best. We want to have that as ammunition for future fights. That's what we don't do if we truly love God's way. And the reason is because that just drives wedges in between us and other people. And again, agape is primarily relational. It's about connecting us in deeper ways than we can imagine, but what we all long for. In the Old Testament, there's a wonderful book called Hosea. I don't know if you've read it. I encourage you to. There's a little bit of a story, a whole lot of messages from God. But Hosea was a prophet. He was a historical guy, a real guy, one of the prophets. But I think one of the cool things is how God has worked throughout history to give us these other little clues about how things work. For example, the name Hosea and the name Joshua and the name Jesus are just barely different in the original language. It's Hashea, Hashua, and Yeshua, and they all mean God saves. And Hosea, even though he's, it's a true story, it's just what happened, he's one of the prophets, he very intentionally is a picture of Jesus. He's, he's making us think, wow, there's, there's somebody else that's even more like this. But here's what happened. Uh, Hosea, God told him, that in this season where Israel was completely unfaithful to God, he said, I, I want you as the prophet to know what that feels like. So I want you to go and marry a prostitute. And everybody's going to know this. And so he does. He marries this woman named Gomer. Very unfortunate name. I always, always think of uh, Gomer Pyle. And, uh, you know, there it is. That was her name. But the thing is, <laughs> he marries her and they have kids and everybody knows this is the prophet and his wife and there it is. And, and let me ask you, do you think anybody really forgot where she came from? Like literally forgot. Do you think Hosea forgot? No. And yet he takes her in. They start building a family together. And that was what God wanted. See, in the Bible, the idea of remember and the idea of forget are almost every single time, there's very few exceptions, almost every single time, it's deeper than what we normally think of. It's not that God just literally can't remember certain things, it's he refuses to hold them against us. He refuses to let that define the relationship. He's not keeping it handy so he can pull it out and go, oh, no, no, this. He's not doing that. I mean, imagine this for a second. Let's say you do something really tangible, some really tangible sin, like you kill somebody, and then you ask God to forgive you. And maybe in that moment he forgives you, there's no way the next thing God goes is, whoa, how did Bob die? Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't literally forget. He chooses not to hold it against you. 
And when it says that God remembers something, for example, it says he, he remembered Noah after the flood had been there for a while. It's not that I keep forgetting, like, who's that guy down there? What is it? What's the deal with the boat? Anybody? What's up with the boat? It's not like he forgot, but he's like, okay, now it's time. And, and, and all of these verses we're looking at today and so many more make so much more sense if you understand that. So that's why I share that so often. Anyhow, here's what Jesus says. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. When we forgive others, brothers and sisters, we're choosing to set ourselves free as well as them. Because what we're choosing to do is to say, I'm not going to be responsible for making sure they pay for what they've done. I'm not going to be the one to make sure that they get rewarded in a bad way for this terrible thing. I'm not going to be the keeper of the log to make sure that that happens to them. And when we let ourselves free from that responsibility, it it sets us free in a way that nothing else can. It's what Paul is talking about in Colossians when he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. In other words, this is who we are. So as these people of God, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As God's people, intentionally live this way. As God's people, intentionally put the uniform on every morning. As God's people, that's who you really are. Intentionally make this obvious. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Again, we see this in God primarily. We see it in Jesus. And then we see him asking us, inviting us, commanding us, and empowering us to live this out ourselves. Hebrews 8, 12 says, for I, this is God, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. In other words, I'm not going to just keep showing you my diary. Don't forget, I know what you did. It's not like he literally forgets. It's that he's not holding us against. It's not, he's not holding it against us. Psalm 103 makes this so beautiful and clear. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Steadfast love is love that's just steady. It's not dependent on the highs and the lows. It's not dependent on whatever happened or did not happen. It's steady. It's rock solid. It's steadfast. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. In other words... I'm not taking those into account anymore. It's just not part of the picture. We're not looking at it. 
We're not going over it again. God actually defines himself. He actually names himself with this concept. In Isaiah, he says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. One of my favorite books as a kid, it's still one of my favorite books actually, is Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree. Anybody else besides me you like this one? If you've never read it, it's wonderful. But I remember as a kid, it'd make me all emotional and I'd get angry and I'd get sad. And I I got it on a deep level, even as a child, that there was, I don't know that Shel Silverstein was a believer. I seriously doubt he meant this, how I took it. But I saw God's love in this story. Uh, Here's here's the gist of it. I encourage you to read it yourself. But here's, here's the gist. This boy makes friends with this tree. And the tree's alive in the story. It, 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 it has feelings and thoughts and all that. But they're friends. And so the boy will come every day and it swings in its branches, climbs around, it eats the apples, and the tree is happy. The boy enjoys its shade and it hangs out. But then the boy starts to grow up and little by little, he spends less and less time with the tree. Eventually, as uh, an adult, he comes, and the story still calls him the boy all the way through, but the boy comes back as a man, and the tree says, hey, come climb, come swing, let's do this, and, and he says, uh, you know what, all, all I really need is money right now, and the tree says, you know what, okay, um, take all my apples and sell them, then you can have money, and so the boy goes, okay, takes all the apples, sells them, gets money, the tree doesn't see him for a really long time, but it says, but the tree was happy. Because it did something for the boy and it loves the boy. And then he comes back after many years and now he's a much older man and the, and the tree says, hey, I don't have any more apples, but I still got my branches. And the boy goes, you know what? What I really want to do is build a house. And the tree goes, oh, okay. You can have my branches and build a house. So the boy cuts off all the branches and goes to build a house. And the tree doesn't see him for a long time, but it says, but the tree was... Happy. He'd helped him out. He'd at least seen the boy again. Something had happened. They'd interacted a little bit. Many years goes by. He comes back. Now he's much, much older. Tree goes, hey, I, I don't have much less to give you, but it's good to see you. The boy says, you know what? All I really want right now is just to get away from everything. I wish I could build a boat and just sail away. Tree says, you know what? I still got a trunk. You can have my trunk. So the boy cuts it down, builds a boat. Sails away. It says, the tree is happy. Then this is the worst part of the whole book. Can we have a picture of that? It says, the tree was happy, but not really. Not just because it had given away everything, but because it gets it in that moment that the boy is really not about the tree, he's about himself. That all this sacrifice the tree's been giving and giving and giving is really not the relationship that the tree was hoping for. Finally, at the very end, the boy comes back as a very, very old man. The tree says, hey, I I really don't have anything left to give. He says, you know what? All I need is a place to sit. The tree straightens itself up as much as it can. says, you know what? A stump is a pretty good place to sit. And so the boy sits down and the tree was happy. Why? Not because the boy was sorry, not because the boy actually like said, oh, I get it now. I am so selfish. Wow, what is wrong with me? But because they're together again. 
And I see God in that. I try to see me in that. And if you ever see anything like that in me or any other Christian, it's because of God's Holy Spirit deep down inside of us. Second big idea about love. If we're going to love God's way, is this. Don't celebrate unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is anything that's the opposite of whatever God calls righteous. God calls it good, and it's not that. That's unrighteousness. Let's say that together. Don't celebrate unrighteousness. Grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness, all of those things, they acknowledge that sin is sin. They acknowledge that there was something that got written down in that log that needs to be erased somehow. Whether we erase it, whether we pay in full, or whether God forgives us, it acknowledge this is not okay. This is not something we can just say, oh, it's not a big deal. Something has to be done. But what forgiveness actually does do is it provides some space for us. A little bit of time, little bit more of, a little bit more relationship than maybe what is actually earned by the other person. It, it, it creates some place where lessons can still be learned, where changes could still be made on the other side of whatever went wrong. But real love is never going to celebrate or even fully accept something that the person who loves that other person knows is going to deceive them. If it's a lie and you really love somebody, you don't want them to believe a lie. If you know that that thing they're doing is entrapping them, it's, it's taking them down a road that's going to drive a wedge, not only between them and you, but between them and God, between them and others. True love is not going to accept that. It's certainly not going to celebrate that. It can't because it genuinely loves that person. What's, what's best for that person? We can't celebrate things that hurt the people we love. We can help them through it. We can accept them regardless. We can meet them where they are. We can take it and take it. There's a lot of good options here that we can do, but we can't celebrate it. We can't say, oh, it's great. It's awesome. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's not given to us. And God does not do that. If God did that, he would never have sent his son to die for us. He would just said, ah, forget it. Just keep sinning. I don't really care. Is that what he did? No. In Hosea chapter 2, we don't get all the details, but it's pretty clear as short as the story is in chapter 2, that Gomer actually leaves Hosea and goes back and becomes a prostitute again. She leaves this new life she's been given. She leaves him. She leaves their kids. And she goes back. And, and if I were Hosea, that would be the end of the story. I'll be straight up with you. But it's not the end of the story. God says, hey, now you really know how I feel. I need you to go buy her back. And so he has to go. There's no polite way to say this. He has to either buy her out of slavery, pay off her pimp. I, I don't know what the right way to say this is, but she's actually been enslaved in this prostitution. He has to pay his own money to set her free. And he brings her back home again. And things are awkward for a while, straight up. It's awkward for a while. It says they're right there in the text. It doesn't use the word awkward, but it's, that's what it said. And yet she becomes part of the family again. 
She's back there with the kids, back there with Hosea. Everybody knows she's the prophet's wife again. And Hosea starts really getting at just how gracious God is. Just how much sin really hurts him. Just how little we can celebrate the things that drive us away from him. That drive wedges between us and him. He's willing to do anything to get her back. But that's a totally different thing than celebrating her freedom and her choice and her ability to follow her, her own heart and get it out of her system. It hurts. First Corinthians chapter six, Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Rather that neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is the beautiful part coming up. And such were some of you. Every single one of us, no matter which sins entrapped us and deceived us, every single one of us starts at a place where we can't even approach God without the blood of Jesus and without him choosing not to hold that sin against us. And not only does he offer us that, he offers us freedom from those things. He offers us the chance to be transformed. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I love this story. Jesus tells about a shepherd looking for a lost sheep. I'll just read his words and just barely comment on it. What do you think, said Jesus? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Just notice a couple things here. First, he doesn't go, well, good for that little sheep. I hope it has a grand adventure. That's not his approach. Another thing I think we should notice is where he leaves the sheep. He leaves them on the hills, which means he doesn't just abandon them. He doesn't forget about them. The shepherds, let in that culture, they would lead the sheep out to a good place every single day and every single night they'd bring them all back into the fold. So if they're on the hills, they're exactly where they need to be, doing exactly what they need to be. They're completely provided for. He doesn't abandon them to go look for the others, but he knows it's best for that little sheep and for all the other sheep if they're all back together again. I remember one time one of my sons got lost when he was about three years old. I have four boys, okay? I guarantee you our approach was not, well, you know, we still got three. (laughs) I guarantee you. And in that moment, it's not that I loved him more than the others, but I can guarantee you when I finally found him again, that was the most important thing in the entire planet at that exact moment. That's what it's saying. It's not that he doesn't appreciate that we stay faithful. It's not that he's abandoning us. It's if you're the lost sheep today, if you've wandered off, 
If there is a wedge between you and your heavenly father, all he wants is for you to come back. He's not going to hold it against you. He's going to be thrilled that you came back. You can rejoin the fold and go home with the rest of them tonight. In that same chapter, there's a lot of stuff, by the way. Matthew 18. Everybody say Matthew 18. You just need to read the whole chapter. I wish we had time, but we got one more big idea to unpack this morning. And that is, the original Greek is sunkare de te aletheia, which means, however, it does rejoice in the truth. Love doesn't rejoice, it cannot rejoice in untruth and in things that hurt us. But it does rejoice in what's really real and really true and what can help us, the things that draw us together. So let's say this together. Do celebrate truth. There it is. Do celebrate truth. And if you're writing things down, that's your third thing to write down this morning. All true Christ followers devote themselves to him and to his ways. Now, we celebrate what is real by not only just saying, hey, yeah, no, that's great stuff, but by living it out. We work it into the daily rhythms of our lives, into the weekly rhythms of our lives, the monthly and the annual rhythms of our lives. This is who we are. This is what we do. The older I get, the more I realize that's exactly how life works, is that the things I do every day, that's, that's who I am. I may think I have other priorities. I may say I have other priorities and genuinely believe my own words in my own heart. But the stuff that gets done every single day is what I prioritize the very, very most. That's who I am. And that's scary sometimes. It's exciting sometimes. But it's real and it's true. And if you really love Jesus, if you really celebrate the truth, that means that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you're actually doing what he says and not doing the things he says not to do. You are actually living in that sweet spot that the Bible calls agape where those things are happening and these things are not happening. That's how you interact with God, how you interact with God's people and how you interact with the community around you. And if that's happening, hallelujah, however much that's happening, hallelujah, however it's not, we need to fix that. Because if we celebrate the truth, we live it. Is this connecting? Are you guys hearing this this morning? God bless you. I sure hope so. And I know, I always, we always have somebody here who's, I want you to know, you're never going to hear condemnation from me. You're not going to hear that. I'm not saying that every single one of you, this is the first time you've ever heard this. Nobody knows Jesus without my, that's not what I'm saying. But I need to hear this. I'm telling you right now. I need every word that I'm saying here this morning. I need to be reminded of this this morning. We all do. In Hosea chapter 3 and on through the rest, that's pretty much the end of the story. We don't know for sure. It doesn't elaborate 100% all the details. But pretty much from when he bought Gomer back, she stayed that time. She's just the wife of the prophet. And God just goes on to tell the people the rest of the stuff he wanted to say through Hosea. Hosea gets it on a much deeper level than he ever had. And life just goes on. I guarantee you it wasn't rainbows and sunshine every single day for them. I guarantee you that it was 
hard. I guarantee you the people around them and even Hosea and Gomer themselves didn't 100% forget. But from this point in their life, they were able to move on. They didn't hold it against each other anymore. They didn't keep bringing it out. They didn't keep it handy so that it could be referred back to. They moved on. That's what love looks like. And it also looks like just being about the stuff that's good. In Acts chapter 2, when the first church formed, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. They devoted themselves to those things. In other words, studying the Bible, being together, eating together, especially eating communion, but just eating together in general, praying for one another. These are the things that are part of the daily and the weekly and the monthly and the annual rhythms of life. This is who they are. This is what they did. That's got to be true about us. We're able to move on to not hold things against others and accept their grace and their mercy and their forgiveness when we're the ones who fail so that we can keep together doing the things that God has called us and commanded us and empowered us to do over and over and over again. Philippians 3 says, not that I have already obtained all this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what it lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This morning, I'd love for you to write something down that actually you're willing to do in celebration of God's love for you and and to take one more step into living out that love yourself. Maybe there's somebody you need to forgive this morning. You just need to let it go. Maybe you're like me and the person that's always hardest to forgive is you. You know what, if God's not holding it against you, maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe there's something in your life that instead of dealing with, instead of confessing, you've been celebrating. Maybe it's something in someone else's life and instead of just accepting, I I need to keep loving them, I need to keep giving them chances so that they can learn lessons, they can find some space to change. It's not too late, it's not the end of the story. Instead of that, you go, you know what, let's just, let's just, I think what they're doing good is good. Let it be. That's a totally different thing. That's not real love. Maybe you need to own it, and that's gonna hurt. Maybe it's gonna hurt you But I I, I encourage you to see things, choose to see things from God's perspective, to celebrate the truth. And most of all, maybe there's a specific way you need to celebrate the truth. And my guess is it's probably not just going, woohoo, I love the truth. It's something you need to either start for the first time or put back into the daily or the weekly, the monthly or the yearly rhythms of your life. This is what I believe. This is who I am. I'm going to make sure I do this. People won't be able to miss that this is who I am because this is what I do.
This is how I roll.